Hey, it's me, your grocery list. Now, I know that when you get frazzled, you will forget something on me, and then you'll be very frustrated when you get home, realizing that you didn't get that thing. Well, what could you do while grocery shopping to make sure that you are having a good time and you're not frazzled? You could listen to an episode of this podcast. Before we continue my first ever journey through the Harry Potter series, just a few quick announcements. First, we've got a new piece of merch up. It's digital merch. It's a replay of the Wizarding World Bachelor in Paradise live show that Kelly and I did in June. If you missed that show and you want to see a replay of it, you can now go to potterlesspodcast.com slash merch and buy it so you can experience the absolutely ridiculous reality TV show world that we created for some Wizarding World characters. We put a bunch of fun couples together that were non-canonical. It was a great time. If you love shipping, if you love The Bachelor, if you love Harry Potter, if you love me, any of these things, you're going to like this. It's over at potterlesspodcast.com slash merch now. Also, speaking of if you like Harry Potter and me and shipping and all that kind of stuff, there are tickets available for Potter tour lists. We are coming to a lot of different cities from New York to Boston to Columbus, Ohio, to Grand Rapids, Michigan, to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, to Chicago, Illinois. There's so many different places and you can check out if we are coming to a city near you and you can get tickets before we sell out of those at potterlistpodcast.com slash live. The shows start in August. I'm very excited for them. It's going to be a hoot and a half and I hope that you are there. And speaking of hoots, we have people that love Potterless enough. They give enough of a hoot that they support the show via Patreon at patreon.com slash potterless and I want to thank the newest members of our team over at patreon.com slash potterless. It's Mira and Annabelle Yan. And of course, I want to give a huge shout out to our producer level patrons. Vicky, Christine, Aaron, Clow, Marchismo, Juan, Rosemarie, Maria, Lisa, Audra, Eleanor, Nikita, Rachel, Alex, John, Noel, Claire, Rory, Veronica, Lada, Noah, Jennifer, Justin, Jacob, Maya, Polly, Zena, Harlan, Nikki, Kine, Sarah, Marta, Flor, Skyla, Adele, Professor Threat, Ellie, Michael, Kelly, Kerry, Connie, Jen, Nedry, Will, Marike, Ashton, Brittany, Phelan, the Meadows Family, Ginny, Heather, Kevin, Jarl, Peter, Callahan, Bella, Melanie, Rees, Joseph, Madison, Tonks, Sabrina, Sophia, Farzan, Melanie, Matt, Okamahime, Bony Pony, Kelsey, Rike, Taylor, Megan, Riley, Laurel, Erica, Kendra, Natanya, Yogan, Darcy, Sandra, Craig, Demi, Michelle, Henrique, Casey, Casey, Megan, Jack, Stain, Little, Elaria, Gregory, Cawcaw, Ribbon, Jack, Serenity, Haley, Sabrina, Jenny, Eileen, Annette, Hufflepuff, Brett, Mary, Artemis, Samantha, Nina, Tatiana, Karis, Vomit Spiders, Punkfish, Wire Warrior, Joe, Michael, Maya, Jasmine, Neely, Tate, Sam, Sam, Adriana, John, Jody, Dunanash, Emma, Il, Sean, Greg, Matthew, Ping, Vinacek, Nani, Emma, Toff, Micah, Steamed Nuggets, and Can't I Potter? Who never mess up time zones when making calendar events, and they are the host of a four-person meeting, and they're the only person not to be there on time. If you want to be like one of these amazing patrons and get access to bonus episodes, my notes, exclusive merchandise, exclusive monthly live streams, and more, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Potterless. But without further ado, let's get into episode 185 of Potterless, covering the most popular Harry Potter fan theories, guest starring Vanessa Zoltan. And welcome back to another episode of Potterless, the tale of a 29-year-old man who never read the Harry Potter series as a kid. He read them as an adult, and he did a bunch of other stuff too, and now he's talking about fan theories with one of his favorite Harry Potter colleagues, someone in the Harry Potter podcasting space. It is the co-host of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text and the author of the upcoming, I'm assuming, New York Times bestseller, Praying with Jane Eyre. It's Vanessa Zoltan. Vanessa, how's it going? I love that we are colleagues. What would our office be? Do we work <laughs> at the Ministry of Magic? We work at the Daily Prophet. Where do we work in the magical world? I would probably work in Weasley Wizarding Weezes, honestly. <laughs> I know you would. You would. No, you know what I would do? I would have a table at the Hogshead because like <laughs> nobody goes in and the prices are probably really cheap. I would just post up there and no one would bother me. <laughs> and 
demand that Aberforth spring for better Wi-Fi. Yes. Aberforth, it's 2021. Come on. (laughs) Well, I'm very excited to do this episode because throughout my years, my storied career of having read Harry Potter, you know, five years ago, people have sent me lots of different fan theories and stuff. And I did a big deep dive into them when I finally finished the books and I felt safe enough to do so and not get spoiled. And this is been an episode that is a long time coming, and I'm excited to talk about them with you because I think you are someone that analyzes things very well, but also, if one of these theories is whack, you're not going to hold back and be like, no, that doesn't make any sense. And that's the voice of reason that we need here. (laughs) I will say as someone who treats Texas sacred professionally, right, I'm a chaplain by training, fan theories is something that religion does, right? Like, that is how Lutheranism started. It was just a fan theory. And so they are, like, worthy of being taken seriously. It's like, Jesus didn't mean that. He meant this. (laughs) So I'm really glad that you're doing a whole episode on this. It's important. That's a really good point to raise because I also am Catholic, raised Catholic K-8 school, high school, all that stuff. And, yeah, I think when people make fan theories like, oh, gay people are going to hell forever. It's like, that's a very bad fan theory. That is not – you clearly didn't read the book right because that's not how it goes, my guy. (laughs) And we will use exactly that barometer. I mean, what we would say on Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is like, does it make us better at loving? And like that fan theory of gay people are going to hell makes us worse at loving. So that's a bad fan theory. It's not in the text. Makes us worse people. Bad. Mm-hmm. Yes. So we'll look at fan theories here that at least I deemed to be very popular and also interesting. But before we get into these, there's going to be some ones that I am not covering. And if you are a listener and you think of fan theories that I don't get to, stay tuned for the end of the episode where I tell you we're doing a future one where you call in and we'll cover your fan theories. So stay tuned to the end for that. But for now, I tried to do the ones that I heard the most. And if you disagree with them, I'm sorry, but that's how it goes. The first one I want to say that we're not doing because it is bullshit and everyone on social media stopped sending it to me as a DM because it is a theory that is not good. It's that the Dursleys were only so bad because Harry actually being a horcrux made them grumpy all the time. It's complete baloney because the Dursleys aren't suddenly nice when Harry leaves. And when he sees them at the train station in the books, they don't say, oh, Harry, how's it going? Oh, oh, wait. uh." No, they're always mean. They're always bad. And let's not, like, go too far out of our way to justify child abuse. Yeah. Like, we can empathize with them. They're real people. But, again, it's just, like, we only have so many fan theories we can entertain. And, like, trying to justify the actions of people who were abusive for a dozen years doesn't seem like where I need to put my energy. Right. But if we are going by the route of Disney villain prequel series. Sure. We have to justify every villain. Spoilers to anyone who has not seen Cruella and does not want to know what the plot twist is. But in Cruella, her mom was killed by Dalmatians, which is so whack. So I guess the Dursleys, maybe it's a fan theory that, I don't know, they were tormented by 10-year-olds with glasses. And (laughs) that's why. theory is that, like, Petunia has unresolved shit with her sister, right? Like, that's in the book. But that does not make you abusive. Right. They're just bad people, and sometimes bad people are just bad. Bad. You don't have to write this, oh, this whole big, like, workaround and stuff. I even recently learned that I didn't see the remake that they did of Beowulf, the one with Angelina Jolie, but apparently they gave Grendel and Grendel's mom some sort of backstory. Just, like, they had to give justification to evil incarnate. I'm pretty (laughs) sure from my high school reading of Beowulf that the whole point of the bad guys is that they are just evil, and that's it. 
And apparently they wrote something where they're like, oh, actually, this is what happened. I think mostly to your point, Mike, the magic doesn't add up. Right. We have no reason to believe that they behave differently when Harry's not around. Vernon yells at his secretary and he's not around Harry when he does that. Like, there would be some sort of spell of difference of how they behave. And we have no indication of that. Right. And I can see what people are thinking in that Harry was there for 10 years, so maybe it manifested, but they don't change their behavior when he's not there. I just simply don't buy it. Vernon yells at the secretary before Harry gets left on the doorstep. Ah, true, 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 true. Yeah, we get a glimpse of the Dursleys before Harry gets dropped off on the doorstep, and they're terrible, right? Vernon's yelling at a secretary. No reason to do that. Yep. So that theory in the trash. Other theories that we will not be discussing here are ones that I just think are the book. I think it's just reading comprehension. I was Googling most popular Harry Potter fan theories, and there was a couple of these I saw in many different places. One, people were saying, oh, Neville isn't actually bad at magic. He was just using the wrong wand until he broke it and got a new one. Yes, I think that's just the book. We eventually learn that he was using a hand-me-down wand, and that leads to bad magic because the wand chooses the wizard. So I think that's just the book. Also, I kept seeing people saying things about, oh, Trelawney's predictions actually end up being correct. She just says it about the wrong thing. I also think that is just the book. I also saw one where some of these websites said, the centaurs knew everything all along. That's also for sure the book. They talk about that. They talk about the centaurs intervening and all of that. That's certainly a thing. Another one, people were saying, oh, Snape was actually reading Harry's mind the whole time. I also think that that is a little more fan theory-esque, but also I think it's legit because I think it's just like we end up learning it later on how powerful Snape is in terms of legitimacy. But I also think that's just a thing where sometimes Snape knows when Harry's lying, when Snape catches Harry, when Harry doesn't even make noise, sneak in the hallway, stuff like that. I think that's legit. And then another one that I saw a lot was, oh, the sorting hat predicts the future. And I think that's just... If you interpret the sorting hat the way that my wife Kelly does, it is the hat recognizes potential. And that's why someone like Neville gets sorted into Gryffindor, even though he's not brave off the jump. So I think that's just an interpretation of how the hat works. So those were my ones that I saw in a lot of different places, all these listicle type websites that I just thought were what we were supposed to get out of the books regardless. So just to be clear for anyone who is at home listening to this and being like, oh, that made me feel stupid. Never occurred to me that Snape could just read Harry's mind until you said it just now, Mike. Okay. I was like, oh, oh, that is in the book. And I never thought of it. And I would also say for anyone listening at home, if you think that makes you feel like you weren't good at reading comprehension, you can just listen to the podcast Pottergalist to see how bad I am (laughs) at understanding how reading works. And also rest assured that there were many times over the recordings where I said something incorrect and then my guest corrected me and then I deleted it and edited it to make myself look smarter. So don't worry (laughs) if you think, oh, I didn't get that. That is okay. Don't worry about it. (laughs) I didn't think you were shaming anyone. That was all for me to just be like, oh, I never thought of that. Sure, but also I want to make sure that I'm not shaming anyone. I'm not the strongest reading comprehension boy, and uh, it's my job. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Super my job. The other thing, big picture stuff that I will not be covering is any sort of the ones done by Super Carlin Brothers. I know that they exist. I know that they have a lot of really in-depth, deep theories with 500-hour YouTube videos that go along with them. I'm not going to be covering them here because... 
I have emailed them a little bit back and forth with their manager about doing an episode together. So I think it would kind of sweep the rug out from under us if I covered their stuff without them here. If we ever end up doing an episode together, we'll do those. But until then, none of their theories either. But I will say that there was one theory that they had that J.K. Rowling said, if anyone believes this, I think less of them. So this theory is that Dumbledore made Fox a horcrux, and the the death that went along with it was Ariana's death. A lot of people have said that they don't necessarily believe it because a horcrux, apparently you're supposed to have a death where you have no regrets about it, and Dumbledore obviously would have regretted this, but J.K. Rowling quote tweeted someone asking her if she'd seen this video, and she said, quote, the idea that anybody believes this is strangely upsetting to me, and that makes me think that this is a 100% legit fan theory, and I support it, and I believe it, and it's canon now. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe Dumbledore did that. How could you do that? How can you kill your sister and reduce this beautiful bird to just a tool for your own evil? I'm disappointed. Wow, but hey, it is canon now. So that's where we are. It happened. I read it. (laughs) Okay. So now with all of those out of the way, we can get into the ones that I have done research on and prepared notes and I've kept secret from you, Vanessa, so that if you have not heard them, you can be surprised and get genuine reactions on the spot. Ooh. (laughs) Magic. Whoa. So the first one is by a user of the internet from many moons ago called HP Wombat, and I found this where it's just screenshots on Imgur, but it is the theory that Harry is actually immortal by killing Voldemort. Have you heard this one? No. Explain it, okay. please. So basically, this one comes down to how you interpret what the prophecy says, because in part of the prophecy, the whole th- point of the fifth book was, quote, either must die at the hand of the other, for neither can live while the other survives. So in the book, that means one has to kill the other. Right. But you could interpret it as the only way that one of those two can die is at the hand of the other. Oh. So if you do interpret it this way, by killing Voldemort, Harry just cannot achieve death. Nothing can kill him because the only thing that could was Voldemort. And this makes Harry's sacrifice even more profound because I gained so much respect for Harry in book seven when he just willingly walked into death and just decided, okay, that's fine. This is what it is. This is my destiny, which is really hard to do when you're 17 years old. But this makes this even more intense because by sacrificing his ability to die, That's him giving up the only way that he can be with the people that he loved most. He would never get to be with his parents, Sirius, all of his friends that have passed. So it's truly the ultimate sacrifice for Harry. And the final quote that H.P. Wombat puts, which really hit me, was, quote, Harry would forever be the boy who lived. Right? A follow-up question. Sure. Would Harry have known this? Does Harry knowingly give up? The possibility of death. I don't know. I think, at least the way the book went, I don't think that this fan theory is quote-unquote legit. Right. But I do think it is an interesting way to think about it. I feel like if that was the interpretation or if it was a possibility, I feel like Dumbledore would have said something. He would have been like, hey, by the way, this is the closest you're going to get to death. I don't think that Harry thought that. But if... You do look at it that way, and if he did know, that would have made it even more intense. I don't necessarily think Harry did, though. Yeah, I want to believe that if this theory were real, he didn't know. 
because it just would have changed totally the like psychology of him walking into the forest, the way that he would be saying goodbye to Ginny. All of those things, the psychology of that really beautiful scene would be different. But I love the idea because it's like a radical rereading. I do not like it for the book. Sirius doesn't choose to be a ghost. Neither of Harry's parents do. Lupin doesn't. He has been sort of told by Nearly Headless Nick that being a ghost is sort of sucky. And I think that the first book, we have Nicholas Flamel giving up the ability to live forever. So Harry's gotten a lot of messaging his whole life that living forever is like not that great. So I would hate if he was destined for that in his own life. Yeah, it would be really sad. And I think that if this was something that was supposed to be in the book, I feel like the stakes of it would have been brought up and there would have been more times where Harry said, because he never says at some point, oh, I can't wait to die because I'm going to see my parents. Even when he willingly walks into death, not thinking that he is going to survive. I don't think even, and maybe he did and I missed it, but I don't think even one of his thoughts is, oh, well, on the bright side, I'll get to kick it with my parents. I don't think that thought even crosses his mind when he just thinks he's going to walk up to Voldemort die and then save the day. So, yeah, I don't think it's necessarily actually true. I just thought it was a really interesting thing to think about. It's a great read. And I think it's a fun interpretation. Yeah, me too. Okay, so now we go from one that is more thoughtful and deep and profound, and now we get to one that I think is just very silly and off the walls. Dumbledore is actually a time-traveling Ron Weasley. This is one that I have heard before. (laughs) Okay. This one is a bit trickier because there's significantly (laughs) less proof and more mental gymnastics that you have to do, but I think it's very fun. So basically, it would suggest that Ron lived out his full life, and then when he became an old, old man, he would time travel back as Dumbledore, and then he would mentor Harry in his new life. Maybe Ron uses a time-turner or some other sort of magic, but... There's also the theory where people think that Dumbledore used his memories and then brought them to life a la Tom Riddle Diary, and Ron is actually a Dumbledore memory personification that somehow was brought into the Weasley family. I don't think that that is legit, but it's pretty funny. And there's also, looking at these Harry Potter websites that talk about these fan theories, It's funny because the justification for this theory is that there's ample evidence that Dumbledore and Ron were the same person. They both shared physical characteristics such as their descriptions of being tall and thin with long noses and long fingers. (laughs) So apparently if you have just basic traits, you're the same person, not even related. You're the same person. So the other thing that I recall being part of this theory, and it's been a long time, is that Ron and Dumbledore are like rarely to never in the same room. Right. Yes, yes, yes. And so to that, I would just say the question I have is why is Dumbledore ashamed in front of Ron Weasley? And like, is it that he had an affair with Molly (gasps) and that Ron is actually his son? Whoa. I would go that route more than the time turner, they are the same person route. But that's just me. The other thing with the time turner, the same person thing is that uh, it's also so hard to do time travel stuff because are we doing back to the future rules? Are we doing looper rules? But would this be under the belief that 
Ron lived his life one time through and then Voldemort won. And then Ron thought, man, if he just had some mentor that went back in time and was an old man and gave him vague hints about stuff for six years, then that would really help him out. So I don't know, because also Dumbledore is the reason that Harry goes to the Dursleys. So a lot of question marks in that regard. But I just think it's fun to make Ron Weasley and Dumbledore the same person. Right, because the two facts are that Dumbledore and Ron are rarely in the same room and that they look vaguely alike. And yeah, like I said, I just immediately think affair. Dumbledore had an affair with Molly's mother, and Molly (laughs) sort of looks like him, and there's something about Ron that looks like young him, right? Like, I want to go to illicit love. I mean, this is another way to go. Time Turner is another way to go. I like it. Now, one of the justifications of their similarity that actually brings up an inconsistency, either in the book or in their characters, they both like sweets, but... At one point in the book, Dumbledore says that he loved Bertie Botts ever since he was a youth. But Bertie Bott himself was not born until 1935, when Dumbledore was already in his mid-50s. So I think it's also fun that some of these theories are just J.K. Rowling didn't have a show Bible that she referenced often. And that's okay. That's a mistake that people make often. I've been watching The West Wing, and they mess up stuff all of the time, where senators get renamed and all of that. There's a lot of things to take care of, especially pre-internet days. But... I do think it's funny that the sweets could be the giveaway of, oh, (laughs) Dumbledore's actually Ron. (laughs) Mike, I disagree with you about what happened. Oh. In 1935, Dumbledore is calling himself a youth because when you get older, you think it's relative. Like, when I was 25, I thought I was a mature adult. But now that I'm looking at 40, I'm like 25-year-old Vanessa. What a beautiful young thing she was. And 80-year-old Vanessa is going to think current Vanessa so young. I think Dumbledore is just like, ah, when I was young in my 50s. Yeah, yeah. I get it. I'm currently having a similar phenomenon, but almost in the reverse in that I am approaching 30. And I think I just keep getting to different stages of adulthood. And I don't know if it's just me personally or if I misinterpreted this when I was a kid, but I remember being young and thinking, wow, eighth graders are so mature. Totally. And then getting to eighth grade and thinking, I'm just a kid. Right. High school seniors are so mature. And then being a high school senior, being like, I'm just a kid. College kids. And even now, I'm 29. And yesterday, me, Kelly, and her brother just played a game in in her parents' pool, jumping in and trying to catch bottle caps. Everyone should play the bottle cap game. It's great. You take plastic water bottle bottle caps, you put them in the bottom of the pool, they very slowly rise to the top, and then you have to jump in and grab them, and whoever gets the most wins. It's like a more intense ring toss thing. Uh So we spent the entire afternoon doing that, and I'm 29 years old, and that feels like something a 12-year-old should do. So I just feel like I am I keep getting older, and I'm like, ah, I'm still a kid. <laughs> right. So Dumbledore, at like 110, is like back in my youth when I was only 57. You know? I think that's legit. Thanks. I agree with myself. <laughs> now, the other justifications for this theory are just that Dumbledore seems to know everything that Harry does, and he's able to predict some of the things and the shenanigans that he gets into. So the thought is Ron has already lived out this timeline, so he knows what's going to happen. But this is one of the theories, and a lot of the ones that I'm not covering here, are theories that developed 
before the books ended that the books either proved to be right or disproved. And this is one where it got disproved because basically throughout book seven, we learn about Dumbledore's history. And then there's the Fantastic Beast stuff where we get even more of it. So this one got debunked for the most part, but it's so fun that I still wanted to talk about it as opposed to some of the other ones that I uh, left off the list for today. No, I love this one. I'm glad you brought it to us. I also feel like I've heard a couple similar ones about Dumbledore and Fox, where Fox has been thought to be some sort of time travel or animagus. Like, I think there's one where the thought is that Fox is an animagus Dumbledore from a different time. So similar boats. I think there's a lot of iterations of this theory that I'm assuming these were coming out when the books were actually being released, as opposed to after the fact. I predicted when the books were being released that Harry was a horcrux, and I predicted that from book one. Just kidding. I wasn't reading them. (laughs) I predicted many things incorrectly. (laughs) You know what else you predicted incorrectly past Mike? Hey, it's me editing, Mike. How's it going, everybody? Me interrupting at this point in the episode. We are going to take a little bit of a break here, as we normally do, for a little segment that we like to call Wingardium Adridosa. Today's episode of Potter List is brought to you by Loot Crate. Let's say hypothetically that you are a Harry Potter fan theorist, and that means that you are a big ol' nerd, and that is okay. I'm a big ol' nerd. I love nerds. Nerds are great. If you're a nerd, you probably want to get some nerdy things either to wear or to put on display in your room or to carry your things in. If you want some cool nerdy stuff from a bunch of different fandoms, where could you get that stuff? You could get it with Loot Crate. Loot Crate is the original fan-powered subscription. They partner with entertainment, gaming, sports, and pop culture to deliver monthly-themed crates directly to you. You can get monthly boxes of general pop culture, so these will be things like your Loot Crate box or Loot Crate Fright if you like horror movies, Loot Crate Sci-Fi if you're into those. You can get specific film and TV ones like Marvel, Deadpool, Firefly, WWE. There's animation like Crunchyroll and Rick and Morty. And then there's gaming crates like Loot Gaming, Elder Scrolls, Fallout, and more. You can also just get one-off clothing items, not boxes, with Loot Loot wear. They have a lot of different things. I've gotten some really fun items from Loot Crate from mugs to shirts to backpacks to pins and patches. They've got a lot of really fun nerdy stuff and I think that you will like it as well. And if you go to the link in the description of this episode or you go to multitude.productions slash Loot Crate, you can get 15% off your first order if you use the code Potterless. So again, click the link in the description or go to multitude.productions slash Loot Crate. Use that promo code Potterless and you'll get 15% off your first order. So head on over to Multitude production slash loot crate use the promo code potterless and get 15 percent off awesome nerdy stuff today and now you'll hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster some of these ads will be read by me others of them won't the ones that aren't are inserted locally so if you live internationally don't be surprised if you hear an ad in your country's native language and once those ads are complete we'll get back to this episode of potterless This episode of Potterless is brought to you by Arena Club. Now, if you listen to this podcast, it should be no secret that I am both a sports nerd and more of a traditional nerd. And when you think of these two types of nerddom, there's one thing that links them together, and that is card collecting. Whether you are looking to buy, trade, sell, or display a card collection of sports cards or Pokemon cards, you should check out Arena Club. ArenaClub.com is the place where you can do all of these things. I have recently made a purchase on the 
Marketplace. I got Lieutenant Surge's Raichu, which is my favorite Pokemon, and I didn't even know that there was a Lieutenant Surge version of the Raichu. So that is a card that I now have, and it's not just some digital thing. I can have this card physically mailed to me. So there's a bunch of cool stuff you can do with Arena Club, including their slab packs. If you have ever done any sort of card collecting, you know that ripping packs or repacks can be a zero transparency type of thing where you're just hoping you get some sort of cool card. But what's nice about the slab packs with Arena Club is that you have full transparency. You see what available cards are there, what your percentage of getting them is, what the gradings are. So it is not a complete black box. You're going into this knowing what cards you might get. And I've been using Arena Club and it's pretty cool. It's very easy for me to look up different cards. I can favorite them, see what I want. And then whenever I want them shipped to me, I can get them shipped to me and then I'll have the physical versions of them. Right now, you can get 10% right off your first purchase right now, by going you to arenaclub.com slash Wow, that is a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack is 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash Potterless for 10% off your first purchase. So if you collect some cards or rip open some packs in a more transparent way, whether you're a sports nerd or Pokemon nerd or all sorts of nerds like me, you can use Arena Club today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. So here's a theory that I think is really fun and plausible, and I heard a lot about it. A bunch of different websites have thorough write-ups about how it works. But have you heard that Crookshanks is actually the old family cat of Lillian James? <gasps> no! But I love that. Yeah. So I like this one because one of my frustrations with Crookshanks is that he is made to seem like an important character, at least in book three. And then we just almost never hear about Crookshanks ever again. It's like when you play D&D, you have a pet companion of sorts, and then you just forget that you have it or an item that you've had in your bag and you forget to use it. I felt like that was Crookshanks where so much was put into Crookshanks in book three, and then that was it. So I like this theory and that it gives some sort of justification of why we care about Crookshanks, because aside from stepping on the root, I don't really know what Crookshanks does in the main series. Mike, we've spoken about this before, but all you've done right now is reveal yourself as someone who was deprived of pets as a child. Correct. We can turn this into a therapy session at a later time, but like <laughs> Crookshanks is there. Pets don't have to be there to serve you. Right. They're different from work animals like mules, okay? <laughs> and so a pet is just there for you to love it. And that is why Crookshanks is there, for Hermione to love him. Mm -hmm. And yes, I love this idea that he belonged to the Potters, but I really think you have to stop seeing the utility in all animals. We've had this conversation because Hedwig is just a male person, but uh, the thing with Crookshanks is that Hermione just stops talking about Crookshanks. <laughs> Crookshanks comes and sits and laps also, I have to say, it's people like you why people don't talk about their pets more. I would talk about my pet all the time, but I know people like you will judge me for it. <laughs> Hermione doesn't want to be called a crazy cat lady. Have you ever heard of Instagram before, Vanessa? It's just people talking about their pets in the form of pictures. <laughs> I will say I am currently staying at Kelly's family's house in Texas, and she has 
two cats and a dog and then her sister's in town and has a dog. And I'm a big fan of Darcy, who is Kelly's sister's dog. We went running yesterday. It was great. I like Darcy a lot. I'm also a big fan of Kelly's family's cat, Merlin, who I am fully convinced that this is a person turned into a cat because every time we try to have a meal... Before anyone can get in a seat, Merlin hops on a chair and then stands up with her head right by a plate. Like, hello, it is me, fellow human Merlin. I am ready for dinner also. Yes. And so here's (laughs) the thing. Like, if I were to ask you, hey, Mike, how's home? You wouldn't be like, well, you know, this is how Kelly's doing. This is how my folks are doing. This is how Merlin is doing. Because we've been socialized to not share about our pets because capitalism, probably. (laughs) Hermione is just doing that. Okay. Okay. Crookshanks is there. This fan theory is great, but also Crookshanks doesn't need to have his existence justified. He's just there. I can see the light. Thank you. This is why we bring in pet perspective. So (laughs) here is how this theory shakes out. So the reason people thought about this is when the squad is hanging out at Grimald Place in Deathly Hallows, they find the letter written to Sirius from Lily. And in that letter, she says... Dear Padfoot, thank you for Harry's birthday present. He's got the broomstick thing, blah, 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 blah. But then she goes on to say, while he's riding the little broomstick, which I've said in a live show before, terrible, terrible gift for a kid. But Lily says, quote, he nearly killed the cat and he smashed a horrible vase Petunia sent me for Christmas. No complaints there, which feels highly unnecessary, but go off, Lily. Uh So Lily explicitly says he nearly killed the cat, which I guess JK writing this just thought it would be a cute little anecdote and not realize that people are going to analyze these words a million times over and try to think of it. So if you think that this cat wasn't on its deathbed when Lily wrote this letter, the cat probably stayed alive long enough for the Voldemort attack to take place. So the cat would have been alive when Voldemort came in and killed Lily and James. But there is a quote in Deathly Hallows where they say that Voldemort killed everyone and Harry was the only living soul in the house. Now I turn to you, pet expert. Do cats have souls? I thought their whole thing was that they want to take over the world and they're evil so they don't have them. Do cats have souls? Or is this just a weird interpretation of the text? As an atheist and dog person, I'm going to abstain from offending all cat people. (laughs) I love cats also, but I I don't think I'm going to directly answer the do cats have souls question. I am very compelled by this theory. I think that often like cats are really smart. Maybe the cat ran out when Voldemort came in and like tried to alert other people. Mm -hmm. I completely buy this. I also think that we know that like quote unquote non-conventionally beautiful animals have a harder time getting adopted. And we know that Crookshanks has sort of like a funny looking face and he's bow legged, all of which I would find very endearing. But I know like mainstream media probably does not. And so, yeah, I completely buy that Crookshanks escaped from this house during a violent night and found its way to a pet store. And then Hermione was the next one to pick it up. I buy this completely. I'm sold on this theory. How much is it I would like to buy? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, part of the justification, as you just said, some of the thought is that if you interpret this only living soul line, you would think that the cat did escape. So the cat left the house either before or during the attack. And a thought is that maybe this cat communicated with Sirius while Sirius was Animagus form because Sirius does show up really soon after. And how would he have known that this took place right away? It's because someone alerted him, Crookshanks the cat. And 
and Crookshanks and Sirius later bond so quickly. Exactly. Oh my God, this theory is foolproof. It's good. I think it's really good. I don't know if JK's ever spoken about it, but of all of the theories that I was reading and prepared for this episode, this is the one that I most buy. I think that this one could be 100% legit. I don't want to necessarily give credit to the author because I think there's way too much giving her credit for stuff she did not do. No, this she gets no credit for this. No, but I think that it is a very creative way to think about it because I really can't think of any faults in it. Whereas all the other ones, you can point to some stuff. This, I, I think it could be legit. Me too. And also, I think that humans forget how long animals can live. There are whales that have been alive since Moby Dick was published. Wild. I know. And so like we think that cats live short lives and so like, ah, this math doesn't work. Cats live for like 20 years and this cat is a magical cat. It probably can live to 300. I love this theory. It's very, very fun. And J.K. Rowling gets zero credit. None. All the credit goes to the fan theorist. Yes, all the fans. We get this one. It's We did it. Here's one that is very short, but I thought was legit enough to at least discuss. The theory is that Dementors can sniff out Harry's extra soul because of the whole Voldemort Horcrux situation. And that is why they are attracted to him. The reason I think that this is more of a fan theory and less of just, oh, this is how the book works, is because in the book... They do justify, I don't know if it's Lupin or someone else says that the reason they're so drawn to Harry is because he has such a traumatic past and they can sense that dread and sadness. So that's why they go after him. But I thought this was another interesting thing. They're all about getting souls. They see a a two for one, buy one, get one free deal. Totally. They're going to pounce. Right. It's just a good sale. So, you know. Get on the clearance rack. It's the TJ Maxx of souls. <laughs> it's like, okay. I really like this theory. I find it compelling. I know that a lot of people read the Dementors as a metaphor for depression. Oh. So I prefer the theory that it's because of his trauma, right? That like depression can find you more easily if you've had traumatic things happen to you. Totally. Seems right to me. But I love a sale. Yeah. I buy pretty much all of my clothes exclusively on sale. I shudder at the thought of paying full price for clothes. You're a step behind. It's called Goodwill. Ooh, yes. There was a time when you couldn't get anything good at Goodwill because Macklemore put thrift shops on the map. You couldn't get anything good, but maybe now the Goodwill industry has cooled a little and I can get more vintage shirts and ugly Christmas sweaters. (laughs) Macklemore ruining it for us all. Gosh. His fame was, it was like, was what's a... It's like a bright burst. It was like a star exploding. Yeah, shooting star. And then it died. (laughs) So the next theory that we have here is that Dumbledore is actually death. And the way that this goes is that the three brothers have representatives of themselves in the story. Have you heard this one before? I have not. I've heard a theory where the Dursleys' three presents that they give Harry (gasps) are each a Deathly Hallow. Have you heard that one? No, because what? They gave him some coins. A coin, a tissue, and I think a coat hanger. Okay, if you said a potato chip, that would have been a great SpongeBob reference. (laughs) Wait, a coat? When did they give him a coat hanger? (laughs) I don't remember. I feel like it's something like that. Anyway, it didn't stick with me because I tried to map it out for a minute and I was like, that doesn't track. (laughs) But I don't know if it tracks or not. It started to make my head hurt. So I stopped trying. 
But talk me through this. I've not heard this one before. I have been given, I think, Vernon Dursley's old socks on Harry Potter wiki. Oh, it's an old sock. That's what it is. On December 25th, 1994, Harry gave his pair of socks to an O's, the socks that he ended up giving to Dobby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Mike, I found it. First year, the Dursleys sent Harry a 50 pence piece, a representation of the Resurrection Stone. Second year, the Dursleys sent Harry Potter a toothpick. The Elder Wand. A representation of the Elder Wand. And fourth year, they sent him a single tissue, a representation of the invisibility cloak. Wow. Why is the 50 pence piece the resurrection stone? Because it's made of a shiny metal? They're both round-ish. <laughs> I think that's it. I don't find this theory compelling. I think it's funny, though. Yes. That's why I shared it. But anyway, that is the only like Hallows-y fan theory I know. I don't know this one that you brought. Okay. So this is how this one goes. Basically, the younger brother is definitely Harry, since Harry's actually related to the Peverells, and the cloak was passed down to his family, et cetera, et cetera. The middle brother is Snape, and the oldest brother is Voldemort, and death is Dumbledore. So the way that this shakes out is that Harry had the invisibility cloak, so just like the youngest brother, but he never tried to cheat death. He walked into his own death in Deathly Hallows, willingly, the whole greeting it like an old friend. And even if you take the greeting it like an old friend thing further, Harry does meet Dumbledore for a little bit in the dream King's Cross place. So that could be him greeting death like an old friend, Dumbledore, his Old friend in the literal sense of being a friend that is old, but also friend from the past since Dumbledore has been dead for a while. Snape had his entire life defined by wanting to bring a woman back into his life. He just wants her to be back. And then when she does come back, just like the middle brother is able to get a facsimile representation of the woman that he loves, but it's not the same. But for Snape, it is Harry coming into his life. He sees Lily in Harry, but it's not Lily, so it makes him very upset. Now, Snape doesn't go on to kill himself like the middle brother does, but also Snape probably knew what he was getting into when he was fighting Voldemort at the end and knows that it's not going to be a great situation when he's trying to lie and blah, 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 blah. Voldemort, just like the oldest brother, wants to be powerful and unbeatable. He does legitimately steal the Elder One from Dumbledore, who is death, but with the whole different master rule, it ends up being his destruction. And then another justification for this is that the Horcrux, which is inside Harry, ends up with Dumbledore death when Harry dies, and Harry is told that it cannot be saved. Death passes judgment. So... I think that this is one that I don't know that JK really had this in mind. I also don't know if it's like really a fan theory where you have to do a lot of mental gymnastics. I feel like this is just very creative reader comprehension that would have received an A plus on an essay in literature class. As a former high school English teacher, if somebody had written this in a compelling, clear way, this absolutely would have gotten an A from me. I think that what we're seeing here is symmetry and how dynamics repeat themselves, right? Like pain begets pain, right? I don't see a one-to-one -one connection. I think most of why I don't accept this as a fan theory is that I found it too complicated to follow closely. I was like, ooh, 
my head starting to hurt. <laughs> so, but yeah, I think that this is really good close reading about the themes of harming one another and of mortality. Yeah, I think there are definitely connections to be drawn. I don't know that it is 100% perfect, but you at least have characters that connect with the characters in the story. Yes. It might not be 100%, but you can draw the lines and I think it makes sense. Absolutely. So the final theory is one that I have mentioned a lot in the past. Again, it's just the book, but it's so much fun that that I just enjoyed finding all the exact examples of it. JK has talked about it, so I think this was intentional on her part, but it's just such a fun one, and it's another Ron one. It's that Ron is an accidental seer. When he says things off the cuff, he makes correct predictions. Have you heard about this one at all? (laughs) No, and I haven't noticed it before, but I love it. Walk me through it. Basically, when Ron says stuff either out of anger or when he makes the predictions in Trelawney's class when him and Harry just spew a bunch of crap to try to mess with her, those end up coming true. And it's not always that what Ron says, because Ron and Harry are often wrong in guessing who the villain is. But if you look at what Ron says, sometimes he's accidentally correct. And there's a bunch of really fun examples of it. Yeah, I was like, give me at least a a few examples. Because literally times that Ron is right, all that's coming to mind right now are the times that he was wrong. Like when he <laughs> said to Hermione, I guess he was right. He was like, oh, Hermione, you're a girl. <laughs> he but was like, right. <laughs> the way he handled that was wrong. Yeah, I think what I've always interpreted this theory as is when Ron is genuinely trying to predict something, he is wrong. When he just says something and doesn't think he actually means it, he is right. Okay. And I think that that's fantastic. And it's more fun than the Trelawney thing. Sure. I love it. So here are the examples of it, and I'm doing them in book order. So first, he predicted that Voldemort was responsible for Moaning Myrtle's death. Because when they were trying to decide what Tom Riddle did to earn the award in the trophy room, he says, quote, could have been anything. Maybe he got 30 OWLs or saved a teacher from the giant squid. Maybe he ended Myrtle. That would have done everyone a favor. Oh, true and mean. <laughs> true and mean indeed. He also knew that Gilderoy Lockhart was a phony before anyone else. So everybody's head over heels for him. Hermione is head over heels for him. And in the bookstore, she's talking to him about it. But Ron says, well, he's just saying that he did all these things. We don't know that he actually did them. And that's exactly right. Savvy point, Ron. I think this is the one JK at one point did give a little coy interview answer where she said, you have to pay attention to some of the things Ron says. Sometimes he's more right than you would expect. So I think that this is an intentional thing, but it's really fun. So continuing on, he foreshadowed that Dumbledore would get tricked by evil wizards. So this one is in book three, and Ron is talking about Sirius. He's thinking that Sirius could have thwarted Dumbledore to sneak into Hogwarts. Hermione doesn't buy it, but Ron says, oh, give it a rest, Hermione. I know Dumbledore is brilliant and everything, but that doesn't mean a really clever dark wizard couldn't fool him. So even though he's talking about someone else, this could be extrapolated to the fact that Grindelwald slash Voldemort was able to trick Dumbledore. Yep. He's, like, savvy about people. Part of it is that he's a cynical person, right? Like, and he projects his own self-loathing onto other people. He's like, I would lie about all those accomplishments, so Lockhart is probably lying. I would want Myrtle dead, so somebody probably killed her, right? (laughs) Like, he's projecting, but in a way that actually ends up showing empathy toward people, that, like, everyone is fallible. Mm -hmm. I find this compelling. I like it. Kudos to Ron. Yeah. So it goes on. 
Ron predicted the fight between him and Harry during the first task. So that's one of the things in the Trelawney homework assignment. They say you'll get betrayed by someone that you think is a friend. There is also thought that this could be later on, just not their fight in book four, but also the book seven Horcrux when Ron leaves thing, if you want to go really far down the road. Continuing this, all of the things that they predict in their back and forth about Trelawney's homework seem to come true. So one of the things they say is, on Monday, I will be in danger of burns. And then there's the dragon task. Then they go on to say, you'll lose a treasured possession. And then the water task happens, so friend, whatever. Then there's the one we just discussed. Why don't you get stabbed in the back by someone you thought was a friend? And then there's one where it says, and on Wednesday, I think I'll come off worst in a fight. I think that was Harry, and then later on, he has the fight with Voldemort. He doesn't really come off worst. I guess he does come off worst in that he cared about Cedric, and that was the only loss of the fight. So all of those little offhanded things. He gets tortured. Yeah, that's not great. So I guess he does come off worst. No one dies, but he does get the shortest end of the stick in that a friend of his dies, and it's not a great time for Harry. Crucio sounds bad. Oh, it sounds so bad. Oh, my goodness. It would be rough. It'd be super duper rough. But yeah, all of those little offhand things are true. So continuing on, Ron offhandedly predicted that Harry would win the Triwizard Tournament when they finally become friends again after their big fight. Ron says to him, you know what? I reckon you could win this tournament, Harry. I'm serious. So he nailed that one. He knew Hermione confunded Cormac McLaggen. He says offhandedly, did you see him lumbering off in the wrong direction on his fifth? Looked like he had been confounded. <laughs> he also predicted that A. Crouch attacked Victor Crumb in the forest. This one's a little bit of a stretch because he thinks it's Barty Crouch Sr., right. but it ends up being Barty Crouch Jr. Who he doesn't know exists in his defense. And also to my defense of thinking Ludo Bagman was a bad guy, the book said Barty Crouch Jr. was dead and I believed the book. Sorry I didn't suspect the dead guy. I'm not mad at you for that. Are other people mad at you? No, they're not. I think people give me the benefit of the doubt. I mean, objectively, the Ludo Bagman thing was very funny that for six episodes I was like, yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. But I'm just still upset. I love a mystery thing, and I always get mad at the episodes of Scooby-Doo where they pull off the mask and they go, it's the person you've never met before. And that's exactly what that was. Totally. Ron also predicted Percy leaving the Weasley family when Hermione at some point is sure that Percy would not walk out on his family when he's being all chummy after he graduates, when he has his first job. Ron says he's not so sure. Quote, I don't know if he thought we were standing in the way of his career Percy's really ambitious, you know, mm -hmm. predicts that one. And then finally, he predicted that Voldemort would be connected to working in a store in Diagon Alley because later in the series, Molly and Harry and Ron are in Diagon Alley and she's afraid that Voldemort might be there. And Ron says, Mom, do you honestly think you know who's going to be hiding behind a bookshelf in Flourish and Blots? And this is kind of close because... Voldemort did end up working as an assistant in Borgen and Burks. So it's not a huge stretch that Voldemort would just be, before he became really big old evil guy, he was just a simple workshop assistant in a store in Diagon Alley. But that's actually Molly being right. Molly is like, he could be anywhere. Ron is like, not on, Mom. That's so dumb. Yeah, that's true. But I still thought it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> no, it's definitely like in the right wheelhouse. I'm just right, saying that right, Molly right. is a goddess and Ron lives in her shadow. Molly is a wonderful, wonderful person. Gotta love her. I'm sure there's some other little examples of things that Ron says off the cuff that become true, but I just think that's really fun. And I like that there are so many Ron-based fan theories because I feel like Ron is very underrated. So it's fun that people are trying to find ways to give him more credit, whether he is a time-traveling <laughs> Dumbledore or he's actually a person that can see the future. Maybe if you adapt some sort of time traveling, Ron knows the future, but he can't give it up. So he has to just casually, offhandedly make predictions and then hope his friends catch on to it. And then Harry's just too oblivious to realize that Ron is consistently predicting things to try to save Harry. Oh my God, Ron, it's a lot of cards to hold. No wonder he ends up having the emotional intelligence of a teaspoon. Yeah, I mean, you can't give away that you're from the future. That would make Harry freak out. I recently audiobooked Stephen King 11, 63. And the yeah. whole thing that that guy's got to do when he travels back in time is he has to really make it believable that he's not from the future. And then he messes that up and some people are onto him and it leads to trouble. So maybe Ron is just doing that and he's trying to lay the seeds for his friend Harry to pick them up. But Harry is just too thick to do so. Well, and we know that Ron is good at chess. <gasps> oh, he's... Oh! <laughs> right? He just like sees the whole chessboard and he's like, I got to play it. And Hermione is like, have an emotional intelligence. And he's like, shh. I'm playing chess. My mental capacity is doing so much right now that I cannot, I have no time for emotional intelligence. <laughs> yeah. I'm in love with you, but I can't deal with it. I got to figure out what to do with this bishop. Maybe that's why he said you're a girl is because he just had a malfunction. He just had a circuit board error where he was doing so much that he just blurted out, you're a girl. <laughs> 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 oh, just had a little computational syntax error. Well, this was so fun. This was such a fun little discussion. Education for me. Right? We're learning new theories. You brought new ones. Molly slash Molly's mother and Dumbledore <laughs> having a thing. That's super fun. But before we go, why don't you tell us about your book? That's so cool. You wrote a book. You're so nice. I did. I wrote a book. My whole shtick is that, like, we can learn from books that what you and I just did creates, like, empathy and goodness and love in the world. And, wow, I sound so Oprah woo-woo when I say that. But <laughs> so I now do that with Harry Potter. I treat Harry Potter as if it was a sacred text and glean meaning from it. But I started with Jane Eyre. And so I have this book called Praying with Jane Eyre, and it is a collection of sermons. But instead of treating the Bible as my liturgy, I pick sections of Jane Eyre and talk about things. It's really like a collection of essays on kindness and forgiveness and anger and, you know, the things that we all feel as part of being alive. I think that's really cool. I'm going to hop on and pre-order it so I can get it as soon as humanly possible. If you pre-order it, you will get an exclusive podcast episode with me. <gasps> Let's go. Amazing. I want to check that out. I think that's really cool. And yeah, I think it makes sense, especially with Harry Potter discussions, because you obviously do a very good job of this on your podcast, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. And also just whenever someone asks me what my favorite part of Harry Potter is, it is talking about it with people. Absolutely. I think that the discussions, and that's why I love going to these conventions and doing live shows and stuff, it's so much fun just to take the the base text and then extrapolate it further. These fan theories are so much fun. Having these discussions is so much fun. Honestly, rather than take the time to reread a book, 
I would much prefer to just sit in a room and talk with someone about Harry Potter. I think it's way more enjoyable, and that's what I think has led to the fandom being so strong and being able to survive J.K. Rowling being bad and all this other stuff. So for you to take that approach, you've already done it with Harry Potter. You're clearly very good at it. Now you're doing it with Jane Eyre. I think that's really cool, and I think people should check it out. If people want to pre-order, where do they go? What do they do? Wherever you buy your books, support your local bookshop. Don't go to Amazon. (laughs) No. If you want to see all the, like, I'll be doing an event with you, Mike, in Boston and I'll be doing a lot of events around the country and they're free ones. And so if you go to vanessazoltan.com, you can see all the things, all the things. Cool. Yes, do that. Buy it locally. Don't give Jeff Bezos any more money. He's all set. He's got (laughs) enough. (laughs) He's covered. Thank you. If people want to find you, not just your book, but you doing stuff on the internet, wherever, where can they do so? I would say the best way to hang out with me is by listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text and following us on Twitter, HP Sacred Text. Great. Fantastic. Well, Vanessa, thank you for joining. Listeners, thanks for listening. Well, pass Mike. Hold on one second. It's me editing. Mike, before we get into the wizarding on of it all, let me follow up on that earlier promise and let the listeners know how they can get involved in a fan theory episode of Potterless. In a few weeks, we will be doing an episode of Potterless similar to this, but all of the theories we cover will be ones called in by you, Potterless listeners. If you want your fan theory to be a consideration, you can call in to our voicemail service, which is 6575-BAGMAN. So that's 657-522-4626. If you are either an international listener who, by calling this number, you would get some sort of extra charge, or if you've got a nice microphone and you want the audio of your call to sound extra nice, you can email an audio clip to potterlesspodcast at gmail.com and and make the subject line of the email fan theory submission. Whether you call in and leave a voicemail or email an audio message, it has to be 30 seconds or less or I will not listen to it. I've got to draw the line somewhere. I think we're going to get a lot of submissions, so 30 seconds or less or I'm just going to delete it. I will play the audio from your call on the episode. Then the guest and I will discuss it. We'll put as many as we can into about an hour long episode, and it's going to be really fun. Again, that phone number is 6575-BAGMAN, which is 6575-224626. Or send an audio message in an email to potterlesspodcast at gmail.com with the subject line being fan theory submission. It's going to be great. Please call and leave some fun fan theories for us to discuss. Okay, now, Pass Mike, you can get into the wizarding on of the episode. And as they say, in the wizarding world of Harry Potter as they keep all of the timelines in their brain because everyone is actually Ron Weasley in this book. Wizard on. I love the idea that it's just a chorus of Ron Weasley's. Everyone is Ron and he just keeps going back and he's like, okay, now I have to be the Godfather type figure. (laughs) Got it. Got it. Now I have to be talks. <laughs> now I must be the Bulgarian love interest for Hermione. <laughs> oh, that must be really hard for him because he loves her. Oh, but it's necessary to bring out, you know, bring out the love. <laughs> you got to do it. You got to do it, Ron. Hey, if you like me and children's series and solving mysteries, well, boy, oh boy, do I have the podcast for you. It's called Meddling Adults. It is a podcast game show for charity where I serve as the host and two guests go head to head in a contest of solving children's mysteries from classic series such as Scooby-Doo, Encyclopedia Brown, Shelby Woo, and more. Three seasons worth of episodes already live at meddlingadults.com or just by searching for Meddling Adults in whatever podcasting app you use. And we are currently working on season four. It's a really fun time. It's nice. 
advice. It's wholesome. It's silly. People give ridiculous predictions. So if you liked when I got things wrong in Potterless, you're going to love this podcast. So check it out at meddlingadults.com or search for Meddling Adults wherever you listen to podcasts. Potterless was created by McShubert. It is hosted by McShubert. It is edited by McShubert. It is produced by McShubert as well as Vicky Garcia, Christine, Aaron Johnson, Klauser, Lopu, Marchismo, Juan Sanfeliu, Rosemary, Dodge, Marie, Lisa C. Keen, Audra, Eleanor, Kerlin, Nikita Power, Rachel Guthrie, Alex Consulver, John Kotker, Noel Basile, Claire Spencer, Rory Collier, Veronica Bartova, Lada Bartova, Noah, Jennifer Marklu, Justin Montero, Jacob Parrish, Maya Gray, Polly Burge, Zena Rosnowski, Harlan Haskins, Nikki Harris, Kine, Sarah Shedder, Marta Morrison, Flor Sake, Skyla Lily, Edel Ryan, Professor Threat, Ellie Hoskov Chova, Michael David Yordi, Kelly Otilio, Kerry Crumpler, Connie Binkowski, Jen Went, Nedry OS, Will Huser, Marai Kariga, Ashton Gabrielson, Brittany Gutierrez, Phelan, The Meadows Family, Ginny from the Block, Heather Langeel, Kevin Stewart, Jarls Fiven, Peter McGrath, Callahan and Darius, Bella Barlack, Melanie Demi, Reese Dignan, Joseph Torp, Madison, Don't Call Me an Infidora, Sabrina Balsiker, Sophia Loves Pigs, Farzan Jarabat, Melanie the Rafe, Matt Barger, Okamahime, Bony Pony, Kelsey Gillespie, Rike Mango Jensen, Taylor Payne, Megan Moon, Riley Kitas, Laurel Happy, Erica Butler, Kendra Hertz, Natanya Page, Yogan Shanley, Darcy Alexandra Harrison, Sandra Rose, Craig McRoberts, Demi Lynn, Michelle Spurgeon, Henrika Wolf, Casey Canales, Megan Stampin, Jack Skitzes, Dane Nemcher, Little One, Ilaria Vicentin, Gregory Hughes, Call Call, Mother Feathers, Ribbon Monstrosity, Jack Parr, Serenity Allen, Haley Hastings, Sabrina Casanova, Jenny Browers, Eileen Gazesh, Annette Pipitone, Hufflepuff Alumni, Brett Clausen, Mary Price, Artemis, Samantha McNamara, Nina Campley, Tatiana Schmidt, Carries Davies, Little Vomit Spiders Running Around, Punkfish, Wire Warrior 4976, Joe Sander, Michael Peavy, Maya Saunders, Jasmine Ellis, Neely, Tate Sasson, Sam Sam Reby, Adriana Hernandez, John Savio, Jody, Dunna Morphy, Nash Sanadiki, Emma L. Oscar Thomason, Sean Kirkoba, Greg Bonastali, Matthew J. Moreland, Ping Vinacek Nani, Emma Kui, Toff Beifong, Micah Alma Cloward, Steamed Nuggets, and Can't I Potter? Web designed by Kelly Schubert, our intern is Sherry Guo, and the music is by Bettina Campamanas. If you want to find us on social media, you can at facebook.com slash potterless, twitter.com slash potterless pod, instagram.com slash potterless podcast, and reddit.com slash r slash potterless. For any and all information about the show, you can go to potterlesspodcast.com. Bonus content lives at patreon.com slash potterless. Merch lives at potterlesspodcast.com slash merch. And tickets to our tour of live shows coming up in August and September lives at potterlesspodcast.com slash live. If you think of someone that might enjoy this podcast, why don't you tell them about it? Reach out to them directly and say, hey, there's this podcast called Potterless. I think you would really like it. Or if you want to help the show grow, you could talk about it on social media or leave us a rating interview online. All of these things really help. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, as they say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, wizard on. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.